But I invite you, if you'd like, to turn to uh, Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 11 through 13. Ephesians chapter 2. Before we read uh, this passage and consider it, I invite you to bow with me in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, we uh, pray that you would humble our hearts, that we would receive uh, the word uh, with meekness, that we would love what it is that you are about to teach us, and that each of us would be molded and shaped more so into the image of Jesus by the time we leave here than we were when we came in. We pray that you would edify us as Christians, encourage our hearts, show us how it is that you've saved us and how it is that we're called to live for you, and also save any here who might not know you and who might be living in darkness. We ask that you'd accomplish this by your powerful Holy Spirit for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Ephesians chapter 2, we'll start reading at verse 11 and then read down through uh, verse 16, and then our text will be 11 through 13. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Uh, One more time, verses 11 to 13. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Thus far, God's word to us this morning. May he bless it to our hearts and lives. So brothers and sisters of Hope Church and everyone with us here uh, this morning, the last prayer of Paul, the last prayer request of Paul in Ephesians 1 right at the end was that we would come to know the greatness of God's power toward us who believe. And he describes that in detail uh, as far as what that looked like when we first came to faith. How powerful is God toward us who believe this powerful? He took dead sinners, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, and he made us alive together with Christ. He saved us by grace. That's incredibly powerful work. I don't know if you've noticed lately, but no human beings are doing that kind of work. None of us are able to raise dead sinners to brand new spiritual life. Only God can do this. That's tremendous power toward those uh, of us who believe. And now Paul goes on to explain in another way, God's power toward us, as it were, the power of uniting, catch this Jew and Gentile in the same church without having them kill each other. That's amazing power, incredible power. 
How is God going to do this? So brothers and sisters, if you know anything about the Jew and Gentile relationship, you know it's not a good one. Their history is a horrible one of fighting, of complaining, of warring, of killing. And yet God's power is such that in this new covenant, he calls Jewish Jewish people into the faith. He calls Gentile people into the faith. Like in America, black and white, think of skin color 200 years ago. He says, you guys are going to love each other. You're saved by the same grace, and you're going to learn to get along in fellowship. Powerful stuff. How does God do this? (laughs) By his power working in us, each of us as believers, and by teaching us a few things. So, Why does Paul spend so much ink writing about how to bring Gentiles and Jews together in the church? I mean, he's going to spend a large amount of this chapter talking about unity of the church and bringing Jew and Gentile. Why does he spend so much ink doing it? Because they they just don't get along. They don't get along. Why don't they get along? I'm I'm glad you asked. Here's why they don't get along. The Jewish people had redemptive privileges that the Gentiles did not. Catch this in verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So what Paul is saying here is simply a historical fact uh, that the Jews had religious privileges and the Gentiles did not have these religious privileges. What were they were? What were these religious privileges? Number one, uh, or what, what, did the Jew, what did the Gentiles lack? They were separated from Christ, okay? They were outside of the Christ, outside of the Messiah. If you were born into a, a Gentile nation other than the land of Israel, just the other nations, you didn't know about this Messiah. You wouldn't have been taught about the Christ who is to come, the seed of the woman from your parents. They didn't know of him. You wouldn't know of him. Your kids wouldn't know of him. And your grandkids wouldn't know of him. You were in many ways part of what we call today the unreached people groups. You're outside of the pale of our Lord Jesus Christ. You don't know him. You're alienated from him. You're separated from him. You're cut off from Christ. Beloved, that was true of the Gentiles in the Old Covenant. They were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, something else that that Paul mentions here. The commonwealth is simply the the theocracy of Israel, the nation-state of Israel, which God governed by civil laws, ceremonial laws, think temple, tabernacle, all the things the priests had to do and the people there, and also his moral law. So they didn't have the benefit, the Gentile nations, of hearing about God, of knowing about him, of understanding his character, of understanding how to approach him through sacrifice. They didn't have any of these benefits. They may have heard about them through word of mouth, but they weren't inside the land of Israel and they weren't around the people of God. So they were alienated even from the people of God. They weren't around them. Again, a disadvantage. They were strangers to the covenants of promise. The covenants God made with Abraham, with with Moses, with, with David. Strangers to those things outside of them. Foreign concepts to them. And they weren't the beneficiaries of them directly at that point, even though they would be through Abraham in the new covenant. And they're without hope, having no hope. Well, hope is something we all live for, right? They, they had no guarantee of the future. They didn't know what was coming. They would worship their pagan gods, etc. But they had no hope, no true hope in this world. And they were without God in this world. So they turned to all their other gods, man-made gods, not real gods, but things they made up, statues, stories they made up, stories they devised. They turned to those things, beloved, because they were without God in the world. So, beloved, the Jews had tremendous religious advantage, 
We'll get to what this means for us toward the end. You're going to have to bear with me for a little bit. The Jews had tremendous religious advantage and the Gentiles tremendous uh, disadvantage. It was a historical fact. There were real differences between the Jews and the Gentiles. And what the Jews had was real. What the Gentiles had was fake and false. In fact, Jesus would say in John 4, 22, you worship what you do not know to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. As in what the the Jews had real religious privilege. They knew where salvation was to be found. The Gentiles did not. God had revealed salvation to the Jews, not to the Gentiles. So there was a tangible historical difference between Gentile people or other nation people and the Jewish people who lived in Israel. And this tangible difference did not create what it was supposed to create. Okay? For the Gentiles, it should have created curiosity. Look at those people. Look at how they're living or how they're not living in the case of Israel. We'll get to that in a moment. Look at how they're living. While we want to know about this God, look what their God has done. It, it created curiosity in Rahab, right? She heard about the crossing of the Red Sea some 40 years later. She's all in with the people of God and believing in Jesus. But the rest of the people of Jericho, they, they were just scared. They knew their city was going to fall, but they didn't trust in the Lord. So it should have created among the Gentile nations a curiosity, and it should have created among the Israelites humility, Because God said, I didn't choose you because you were strong or more in number. I didn't pick you because you were a great nation. If I wanted a military force, I'd have gone with Egypt, right? You guys, you guys weren't all that in a bag of chips. You were weak and I had to bring you out. Actually, I did all the work. All the credit goes to me. It should have created them humility and also a a desire for other people to come to know this God. But this didn't happen. Instead, what it created was historical animosity. Gentiles hate the Jews, and Jews hate the Gentiles. Now, the animosity, we could, we could spend a long time on this. I don't, we don't have a lot of time, but, but here's just some evidence of it. You remember when Jesus was in John 4, uh, meeting the Samaritan woman at the well? She said something fascinating, John 4, 9. The Samaritan woman said to Jesus, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. She's saying, what, <laughs> did you lose your compass? Uh, why in the world are you in Samaria? We don't have any dealings with you. In fact, so, so much did the Jews despise people of other nations and the Samaritans that if you were in Judea as a Jew in Jerusalem and wanted to go like Nazareth, for example, up in Galilee, and Samaria is right in between the two, you'd actually cross the Jordan River east, go up outside of Samaria, and then cross back over into Galilee so you never had to enter into Samaria. And Jesus cut through all these barriers went right up through Samaria. And the woman saying as, or what are you doing here? (laughs) We don't have any dealings with, you don't even walk through our country to go from Judea to Galilee. So the Jews despised in Jesus day, the people of other, of other, uh, of other uh, nations who belong to other countries. And then even in Mark two, there's example of just Jewish hatred of Gentile people. As Jesus reclined at table in his house, Mark two 15, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples and the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? They didn't like it. Jewish people, good upstanding Jewish people, you don't eat with these Gentile people, these dogs, these tax collectors, these sinners. Jews did not like or appreciate Gentiles, and the feeling was mutual. 
Because all throughout history, you see what? Egyptians enslaving God's people. The Philistines were always trying to wipe the Jews off the map, especially in David's day. The Assyrians wiped out the northern ten tribes, and then Babylon came by, and they wiped out the rest that were there. The Romans were more than happy to persecute the Jews. Think of Nero. We think even before then. The Gentiles have hated the Jews as well, whether it's hatred of their pride, hatred of them thinking they're better. It doesn't matter, beloved. There was mutual animosity between the two. So you have this centuries-long feud, this millennia-long feud between Jew and Gentile. And God's saying, Paul's saying, the Holy Spirit's saying in this passage, you guys are going to figure out how to come together, and here's how you're going to do it. Now, this is mighty powerful work. This is incredibly powerful work, brothers and sisters. It's like, think of the two greatest enemies right now in the world. I don't know what would come to your mind. I've got a few things that come to mind. You're going to save them, and you're going to put them in the same church, and you're going to say, now you guys are going to fellowship together. You're not going to kill each other. All right, you Gentiles, put your swords down. You Jews, put away all your pride and all your derogative, you know, one-liners and all your downplays. You put both of that away, and you're going to learn to to love each other. How does this happen? There's no other institution, beloved, no other place where this can happen in the rest of the world. There isn't. The blood of Jesus alone is powerful enough to make this happen. It's why the blood of Christ is made. It's why the church is such an incredible thing that God is doing. Bringing peace to people's lives individually and then making peace among people after we've made peace with God. Nowhere else will you find such a diverse range of people's preferences, backgrounds in one place. And if you look at the church, it's really a, it's a crazy organization. You've got people that in any other setting wouldn't even want to be around each other within 10 feet. You, you look different, you talk different, you sound different. I don't want to have anything to do with you. And yet in the church, saved by the blood of Jesus, we love each other, we serve each other. We fellowship together around the blood of Jesus. The blood of Christ is enough for our Christian fellowship. So these tangible differences created historical animosity, which led to personal pride in the differences. Okay. Think about this. Verse 11. Remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Now, this is kind of a sidebar, but this is kind of like a barb. It's thrown in there, and it's meant to be thrown in there for a reason. What Paul is saying here in addressing the Gentiles is that the Jews had categorized all people in two categories, the circumcised us and the uncircumcised everybody else would say the Jews. And Paul wants to point out something about these categories, that they were man-made categories. Catch this. Made in the flesh by hands. Not, not man-made, external only. Okay? Made in the flesh by hands. And then he also says, you Gentiles in the flesh. He wants us to see that the categories that the Jews came up with, circumcision, uncircumcision, were external only. Okay? Very important that we, that we get that before we walk in. And what took place is the Jews prided themselves on these externals. You can, you can see this in Luke 18, 11. You remember the, the prayer of the Pharisees, standing by himself, pray thus, God, thank you that I'm not like other men. All these extortioners, unjust adulterers, even like this tax collector, I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get, totally missing the heart of it. Nothing to do with Jesus, nothing to do with faith in God. Just look at me, I'm better on the outside. Look at me. The Jews prized the externals. And they prized them so much that there was a lot of peer pressure. Remember in Galatians 2, that Paul actually talks about a time when Peter was hanging out with Gentile Christians. He was eating with them. And then some Jews from James showed up, and Peter said, well, I can't hang out with you anymore, right? I'm going to pull myself back. 
And Paul's like, that, that's totally hypocritical. You're not living in step with the gospel. There's nothing wrong with these Gentiles. And if the Jews who come are putting pressure on you, you need to stand up against that and say, well, these Gentiles are just as much believers as you are. We're one in Christ. But Peter didn't do that, and so Paul called him to the mat. There's tremendous peer pressure, beloved, to when people come in and place emphasis upon externals, there's tremendous pressure oftentimes to cave and to say, well, I guess the externals are the most important part. That's what I need to major in. That's what I need to spend my time thinking about. So you have these two groups of people. You have the Jews priding themselves on external things, and they hate each other and can't stand each other, Jew and Gentile, and they're all going to come into one church. How in the world is this going to happen? Two ways, okay? And this is where we're going to walk through now and then start looking at some practical things. The Jews are going to have to realize that circumcision counts for nothing and that all that matters is being born again. And the Gentile outsiders are going to have to remember where they came from and why they have been brought in. Now, this will continue in the verses to come, but here's two of the implications of verses 11 and then 12 and 13. First, the Jews are going to have to realize that external circumcision counts for nothing. It's, it's simply an external matter, and what really counts is the heart. And that's really borne out in Paul talking about made, made, in the, made by hands in the flesh and also Gentiles in the flesh. He's pointing out these are external things. Elsewhere in Galatians 5 and then 6, he says, In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. And then Galatians 6.15, neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And then remember that chapter in Philippians 3 quickly, verse 4. I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day. Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. If you were a Jew, you'd be thinking, yeah, this is really good stuff, what Paul just said. Blameless, that's me. And then he says, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. What Paul's doing is he's taking, he's not telling Jewish Christians, you take your circumcision and you put it where it belongs. Paul's saying, I took my circumcision and I put it where it belongs, in the trash can. It's rubbish. It doesn't mean anything. What you guys have prided yourselves on, dividing the whole world up into, just as judgmental as can be, circumcision, uncircumcision. External, we look better. Externally, you don't look better. It's just made in the, made in the flesh by hands. What you guys have done is not in accord with the new covenant. Before we walk into what to do with this, I want to acknowledge something, and that's this. There are real differences between Gentiles and Jews in Paul's day. Real differences. You'd see it in the way they live, the way they talk, the way they dress, the way they act. Gentile Christians are going to look very different than Jewish Christians. And beloved, when we walk through differences here and start looking at what are maybe some of the differences we have in our cultures that we have to do with, we don't have a Jew-Gentile issue probably. I don't think we have, we have wars going on here now in, in Pella, Iowa, or in Iowa in general. But we have real differences here. Real differences in skin color and preferences and you name it, beloved. So I don't want to say that those differences don't exist, that we'll just be blind to it. No, the differences do exist, and we need to embrace them and realize that in Christ, these differences can actually be put in their proper place when he is ascended, when he's the one who's the real issue. So what might this look like uh, today? What are the things that really insiders inside the church, those of us who are already inside of it, sometimes take pride in or oftentimes take pride in, which prevents fellowship with 
other Christians or other people in the church that we may disagree with. Uh, There's really infinite applications. Here's just a few. Uh, I mentioned this one already, pride in skin color. We can do that one. When we were in Springfield, Missouri before, there was uh, lynchings actually in 1906. They lynched three uh, black men in the square. And uh, all the black population fled out of Springfield, Missouri. To this day, uh, a metro area of like 350,000, it's like 92% Caucasian white. Uh, Incredible. And racism is still rampant in that culture. And you can see it, you can feel it even in the church when people of color or other races come in. uh, Pride in skin color, not pride in circumcision like the Jews, but pride in skin color comes out. And people don't really know what to do with people of different skin color. Beloved, in Jesus Christ, skin color doesn't matter. That's what Paul's getting at. Skin color shouldn't matter. It's a non-issue. It's an external thing. You didn't decide what color your skin was going to be. You've been saved by grace. Now we have fellowship in Christ. Sometimes we can have pride in gender. This is what the world, feminism exalts women over men. Patriarchalism exalts men over women. What Paul is saying is that in the church, look, there's neither male nor female, neither Jew nor Greek. It's like we all have the same standing before God, the same standing. Men aren't more important. Women are not more important. We all have equal standing with God. Sometimes what we might take in pride in uh, Sabbath observance, that's a new one in Pella. That's a big one in Pella. I've never, I grew up here for a while, but after being out, coming back and realizing that some people People are really concerned about, you know, what's open and closed on Sunday, et cetera, and exactly what do you do on Sunday, et cetera. And that's the badge of whether or not we fellowship. It's the badge of, well, so-and-so is not like I am in my Sunday observance, so therefore I can't hang out with him. Beloved, Jesus' blood brings us near to each other. He's the issue, not whether or not we agree with somebody on their Sabbath observance. We can have pride in theology. I'll fellowship with people and love those people who are Calvinistic infant baptistic but an arminian or someone who's a cradle baptist i don't want to have anything to do with them beloved again that's that's externals that's pride only that's the same thing the jews were doing with the gentiles we're circumcised you're not can't fellowship sorry we're not going to get along in the church and paul is saying nope those people who differ from your view they've been brought near by the blood of jesus too Now you can have unity and can have fellowship in the church. Pride in appearance, how we dress, how we smell, how we look, how fit our body is, body fat content. I mean, crazy things, beloved, that go on in our hearts and minds. Who can I hang out with? Those people who look a certain way. Pride in appearance should have no place in the church. Pride in social status. Pride in family. Has so-and-so been divorced? Are their kids really, really well-behaved? Beloved, sometimes these are marks or these are um, barriers to fellowship when we have pride in exactly our, our family and thinking everybody else has to look just like our family and be as well put together as us. That can be a barrier to fellowship in the church. And pride in schooling, private, public, homeschooling. Some people in public think the private and the homeschoolers are crazy. Some people in the homeschooling think the same of others in the private school, same thing. Beloved, you know, the, the one's going to uh, do school in their pajamas, right? The one's going to go to school and they're going to have a Bible class and the one's going to go to school in a taxpayer-funded building. What external stuff. Uh, beloved, the issue is not, uh, I can fellowship with you if we school the same. The issue is, do you trust in Christ? Because if you're saved by this blood of Christ and you've been brought near and I've been brought near, then we can have fellowship. It doesn't matter where we're schooling our kids. Christ is the issue. I want to mention just again, all these are simply external differences, external things. They're not the real issue. The blood of Jesus Christ, he's the issue. 
But the second way that these two groups are going to be brought together, and, and again, more on this uh, next week, Lord willing, if we're to have fellowship with one another, then the Gentiles are going to have to remember where they came from and why they were brought in or how they were brought in. They need to learn something too. So they have to remember that at one time they were separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth and just simply dead in sin. They were gone. They had no part in all these spiritual blessings that God provided the, the, the Israelites. So they need to remember for those who come in and who feel like they're trying to fellowship with people who won't accept them and are really legalistic or um, have other things that they have to jump through, other hoops they have to jump through, they need to push the pause button and say, you know what? Maybe these other Christians won't accept me like they should, but that, that's not necessarily my sin. I know where I've come from. I need to get rid of my pride too. And I need to learn how to relate to them really well. It's sort of like the battle between the legalists and the antinomians, right? The Gentiles come in. They don't have all these legalism things. They're brand new to the faith. The Pharisees, they've been in. They're the legalists. They've got all these extra rules. You're bringing the two together. And it's very tempting for the people who are from no church background or coming into the Christian faith to say, why do you have have all these rules? Why all this legalism, which can be a legitimate critique, but also they're going to have to learn to love people who might wrestle with legalism. There's always reactions, right? Some people say, take dress. You have to dress a certain way, then you'll be accepted. Well, then people come up and they have churches. We're not, we don't dress like our grandparents' church, right? That's the new thing. So they hate people who wear suits. And the suits people, they hate people who wear their pajamas to church. So you have these crazy battles and Paul's saying, a plague on both your houses. This is ridiculous. What does this have to do with the Lord Jesus Christ? Nothing. It's an external thing. Put on clothes, come to worship, let's praise God, and let's go and let's serve him. This has nothing to do with serving our Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you're coming into a fellowship of people or you're coming into the faith like the Gentiles were, and you're thinking, what is all this stuff going on? It doesn't feel good or smell good. Remember where you came from. Remember where we all came from, dead in sin. God raised us to life. That should just put a check on things. Maybe I'll approach this humbly. Maybe I'll actually learn from those who've been in the faith for 20, 30, 40 years. Maybe there's a lot that they can teach me. Maybe I need to find out their reasons for doing things before I simply say, I just rather, I just, I just rather kill you. I just rather you out of this church, us be done. Let's just call up Nebuchadnezzar and just get this over with now and let's finish you off. Maybe before we do that, we should humbly remember. Notice Paul says, remember, beginning of verse 11, remember this, okay? Don't forget where you came from because it changes everything. If God has made me alive in Christ and brought me from death to life, and he's made me partakers in the incredible things, then I will bear with anything, right? I'll be patient. I'll learn to love even as they have to learn to love me. I won't come in and just excoriate other believers because what they do, what they do I don't agree with. Another way of putting it, don't allow the petty immaturity of some who want to impose their hobby horses upon you to spoil your view of the church. Don't do it. Don't allow other people's views to spoil your view of the church because their views are just as valid as yours, tested by the word of God, of course. And then the second thing that Gentiles have to remember is this. Those who are brand new in the faith, remember why you've been brought in. Verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Look, this, this just settles differences, doesn't it? 
okay, think about this and then we'll close. You've been brought into this church family. You've been brought into the household of God all across the world and you're part of one particular church. You come into the church, you come into the community life, into the fellowship, and people have strong opinions that you just disagree with. You say, I don't see this in the Bible, et cetera, or it is, but you've got to extrapolate to do that. And there's a way to handle it that's just sinful and inappropriate, and that's just by fighting, bickering, complaining, and, and gossiping and backbiting. But how about remembering this? And this is Paul is trying to get everybody to calm down so they can get together. Remember this. You were brought near not because you measured up to somebody else's standards. You were brought near not because God thought, I'm going to put a checks and balance on this legalism. I'm going to bring this antinomian in. No, you were brought near by the blood of Jesus. Jesus had to die to bring you in. Jesus had to go to Calvary, the cross, and bleed and suffer and undergo God's wrath against your sin just to bring you inside. Beloved, that's incredible grace. That's incredible mercy. Jesus had to suffer. He had to feel in his body the curse due us in order to bring all of us inside this church, in order to bring all of us into the household of God. So now we come in by grace. We come in with humility. We come in recognizing, I I didn't bring myself in. Not a single one of us here bled and died for our sins. You and I never faced the wrath of God that we deserve so that we could be part of the household of God. You and I will never face it. Jesus faced it for us. You and I have been brought in that way. It creates a humility. It creates a sense of, I don't have anything to prove anymore, right? I don't have anything that I have to prove over against someone I disagree with. They've been saved by the blood of Jesus. I've been saved by this incredible privilege. And now I just want to serve Jesus with them. Beloved, that's how unity takes place in a church. So I hope all of us can see something very clear, that in any local church that we're part of, there are real differences. If you have a pair of eyes, if you have ears, if you have a nose, you can smell the differences, you can, you can see them, you can hear the differences, you can use all of your senses and discover there are real differences between real Christians, and that's how God wants it. That's how God has designed it. It actually teaches us to love. Because if you're around people just like you, you don't, there's not much of a stretch to love them, right? It's easy to like them. But how about when you're around people that, that are very much unlike you, that don't think like you, talk like you, dress like you, etc., go on down the list. It's infinitely long. Then we've got to learn to love, to sacrifice ourselves for their well-being, our preferences for their well-being, to learn to outdo one another in showing honor. That's challenging. And the church is the only place that this really happens the only place in the world, the only institution built where this is actually possible. People who hate each other can be saved by God's grace and love each other. And that's really just an evidence of God at work in us. Let's, let's bow our heads and hearts in prayer.